I love the end of that video where he's just relaxing on the dock. It makes me just feel at peace. And I don't know about you, Minnesotans love the lake. At least this Minnesotan loves the lake. I love being in a friend's cabin. I love being out on the water. Do you know that our state has uh, the number one per capita in the United States boat ownership? One in every seven Minnesotans own a, uh, one in every six own a boat. One in every six of these in the nation is owned by a Minnesotan. That blows me away. I mean, there are 809,000 boats in our lake. And not just boating. I mean, like, we're into fishing, too. Some of us are really into fishing. Like, 36% of Minnesotans fish. Some of you have been fishing multiple times this weekend. I try to fish. I don't catch anything when I fish, and so I need to hang out with the Minnesotans that know what they're doing. When it comes to fishing in our state, there are um, a ton of lakes, like over 10,000 lakes. Ask a Minnesotan how many lakes there are, and they're going to tell you it's way more than 10,000. And there are 69,000 miles of rivers and streams in our state and all of that employs 91,000 people in our state who are employed by the fishing industry alone. $9.9 billion a year in annual revenue in the state of Minnesota comes from fishing. I love the lake. And again, so many of you can relate to that as well. Whether it's you know swimming or boating or cross-country skiing or ice fishing or snowshoeing, like you are into the to lake. I, we had our little granddaughter last weekend. She's not one year old yet, but she made it to her first lake. She was at Lake Riley. And we have this video of her just you know getting her toes into the lake for the first time. And the joy that she had is just immense. And some of you are going, would you quit talking about the lake because I'm not there this weekend and all of my friends are. You know, who else loved the lake, though? Jesus. And I love this about the Bible. We have a God who loves the things that he created. So many of the stories about Jesus take place literally on or near a lake. Jesus, when he had his earthly ministry in those three and a half years, spent so much of that time in uh, near a lake called Lake Genesaret, or the Sea of Galilee as we know it today. Capernaum was hometown for Jesus, And if you ever get a chance to visit that region, Wooddale goes often to Israel, you need to take that opportunity to go. You will never see the Bible the same way again. Now today's story is one of those stories that took place when Jesus was by a lake. And we've been doing this the last several Sundays, so I'm going to have you stand up. We're going to read God's word together, and I'm going to go to the screen here from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples... Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him out shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. You may be seated. And I wonder how many of you know that sometimes the storms in life catch us unaware. Disciples were on the boat that day and a storm came up and caught them completely unaware. When I was the high school pastor here at Wooddale, we would take students to Guatemala every year. And in 2007, I was on my last uh, mission trip to, to Guatemala and having just the best time with the 65 students we had with us that year. And my parents were going to go on their very first mission trip the next week. 
And so I decided I'd give them a call from Antigua, Guatemala, and just let them know, thinking about you, I'm praying for you. I couldn't wait for them to experience the types of things that I'd been able to experience all over the world with students. And it was a beautiful talk. My mom just was pumped. She couldn't wait to get overseas. My sister was going to be with them on that trip too. They got to Istanbul. They met missionaries. They were blown away by the stories. They, they loved what they were experiencing. But soon, my mom began to, uh, to, to display some strange behavior, behavior that wasn't common to her. She was starting to say some things that just didn't make sense. And pretty soon, she started to have fainting spells. My mom had never fainted in her life. And then she fainted and didn't get up. And she slipped into a coma. And my mom and dad on their first ever mission trip would see their lives changed forever. My mom would end up in the American hospital in Istanbul. She was in the ICU unit. And when you're in Istanbul and you're in that unit, your loved ones can see you 15 minutes a day total. That's it. So my dad is in a strange country with my sister trying to calm her down in a strange place with a wife who's in a coma. And the doctors came and said, we don't believe that she's going to make it. I'd been home for a couple of days when I got the call from my dad saying, Brian, is there any way that you can come be with me because I don't think we're gonna be bringing mom home alive. None of my brothers had active passports. I'd just been gone for 16 days and the next thing I knew I was on a plane and planning to be in Istanbul for four days. Those four days turned into three weeks, and by the grace of God, my mom is still alive today, but she's never quite been the same because she had encephalitis, a swelling of the brain, and their life forever changed on a trip that they thought they were going on to glorify God. A couple years later, my dad knew that it was time for he and my mom to end up in a retirement home, and they we're packing up and he was taking some boxes out and he slipped on the ice and he broke his neck. And he broke his neck in such a way that the doctors told the family, you need to gather by his bedside, 75% of the patients who get this break don't survive surgery. You need to say goodbye to dad. And again, God did a miracle. They said, this, this, is, a, this is a situation where we'd like to believe that the surgery will help him walk again, but we're going to be honest with you, nobody's ever walked again from the surgery. And a month later, my dad was alive and walking, and he's still alive, and he's a walking miracle. Well, a few years later, I, that, I, we're blown away by that. A few years later, my sister was, was preparing to have a baby. She'd had so many babies that she had lost along the years. She was 40, going to become a mom for the first time. And she was experiencing pain in her pregnancy. And her friend said, well, Jenny, you've never been pregnant this long. It's just pregnancy pain. And she gave birth to this beautiful, healthy baby girl. And then two months later, the back pain just wasn't going away. And so she went to the doctor and the doctor said, let's just do an MRI. We're sure this is going to be fixable. We'll just, you know, get you to a chiropractor, do something. And they came out and they were ashen-faced because her spine had turned to tumors. And they said, you have multiple myeloma that's metastasized itself in the spine. Your T5 vertebrae is completely tumor. And if we don't do surgery this weekend, you may never walk again. And so they did surgery and over the convening months, they told her, Jenny, things are not looking good. My sister did not expect to live through the year. And she's alive today in remission. God has worked. He's done great things. But the trial's real. The trial's real. Then COVID strikes. And like so many families, we had COVID strike our family. And my father-in-law was 
infected with COVID. And unfortunately, like so many others in the world, he didn't recover. And I share those stories today because our family is not unique. There's not a family in the world that doesn't go through trials and struggles. Some of you could share with me what's been happening in your house this week, and, and, and I'd be weeping before we left here. It's just courageous for you to be in church today. Others of you have had sleepless nights all week long because you're tossing and turning about the storm that you find yourself in. Listen, sometimes the storms in life catch us unaware. That is how storms are. And that's what it was like for the disciples on that day with Jesus and the story that we just read. The day started out innocently enough. The verse, in verse 22, we'll go back to it, just says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and they started out. It's just a normal, remarkable day with Jesus. And his disciples were accustomed to the sea. At least four of his disciples, prior to being called to be disciples, were fishermen. They made their living on the sea. And like their fathers before them and their fathers' fathers before them, they were probably parts of, uh, of a generation of fishing families. This wasn't going to be a huge deal for them. This was the Sea of Galilee. This was their home lake. The lake was uh, a place that they had grown up on, a place that they, again, had spent time with their fathers on. They had perfected their craft. The towns and the villages around the Sea of Galilee, again, home to generations of either fishermen or people who made their living supplying the tools of the trade that fishermen would use. The Sea of Galilee, if, again, if you've never been there, it's located in a beautiful part of Israel. It's located 686 feet, though, below sea level. And it's a lake where uh, storms can come on so quick because of how it's positioned. The waters begin to churn. It's located in a deep rift between the Arabian Desert and the Mediterranean Sea. And if you're ever caught in one of the vulnerable storms on that lake, it is a scary thing. Some of you have seen films about storms. Maybe that film, The Perfect Storm, that was out years ago that told the ill-fated tale of the Andrea Gale, the ship that is lost at sea in this unbelievable storm. I mean, for those who make their living on the sea, these are the, the, the moments of nightmares. These are the things that, that wake you up at night. Nowadays, at least fishermen can rely on radar and modern equipment, but that wasn't the case in the first century. The uh, first century fishing boat that the disciples were on uh, looked a little bit like this. This is in 1986. There was a first century fishing boat that was discovered around the Sea of Galilee region. It's called the Jesus Boat to those who come and are tourists of the Yigal Alon Museum. It's a 27-foot long boat by seven and a half feet wide. And at its tallest point, it's about four feet tall. So a little bit taller than the Minnesota fishing boat we think about. It's a boat that's big enough for Jesus and the disciples to be on, a boat that's big enough for Jesus to take a, a nap on. And picture, this is the boat that Jesus and his disciples are on, and this is what's happening in verse 23. So we move to, as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap, but soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. Those, those storms I was talking about, where the water begins to churn and the waves begin to come. In fact, the boat was filling with water. And I want you to see what the Bible says here. They were in real danger. Now, if you're a Greek scholar, what that means is they were in real danger, okay? I mean, that, that, the Bible is, is serious about the fact that this was not just a little storm. These are, again, professional fishermen. They get the lake. They've been on the boat. And these guys are feeling afraid. Remember Pastor Dale's sermon last week? 
He talked about Jesus telling Peter, I want you to fish in the deep. And Peter being like, Jesus, that's not where we fish. We fish in the shallows. It's safer in the shallows. That's where the fish are. That's where the weeds are. It's easier to catch fish in the shallows. But sometimes Jesus forces us out into the deep. And in this story, he does that to the disciples again. He says, hey, you're going into the deep end one more time. And so he sends them into the deep. And as he does, Jesus settles down for a nap. But soon the storm came, the disciples were caught by surprise, and that's how it is in life sometimes. Sometimes, oftentimes, the storms of life catch us unaware. We bring our child to the doctor, and we think that it's going to be a simple appointment, and our child is sick with a serious illness. Your company announces that they're downsizing. The driver in the other lane is paying way more attention to the phone than he is the road, and he swerves and he hits somebody causing injury. The person that you love, that you thought I was gonna marry this person, breaks your heart. Your best friend moves to another state. How do you react when you're facing a storm? How do you react when the pressure's on? Listen, most people generally react to the storms of life in one of three ways. They act with worry, they act with anxiety, or they act with faith. And I wonder where my worriers are in the room today. How many of you ever worry about anything? If you're a worrier, would you just, let's have a big support group at Wooddale Church today. Would you raise your hand if you're a worrier? The rest of you are liars, and that support group <laughs> is meeting over in the great room. We all worry from time to time, all right? It's hard to go through life. Last week, my wife and I decided that we were going to celebrate our anniversary a weekend earlier. We have some wonderful out-of-town guests that are here this week, and so we said, hey, We've got some time alone this weekend, just the two of us. So we went to Stillwater. We had the most beautiful morning. We just enjoyed time together. And then in the afternoon, we said we're going to go to the Apple River, and we're going to try something we've never tried. We're going to go tubing down the Apple River. And a bunch of you are laughing because the naive pastor took his wife tubing down the Apple <laughs> River, all right? And it started out innocently enough. I mean, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. We couldn't wait to get out there. We get in the water. We're absolutely freezing. And then it warms up, and it's beautiful. And we're just, we're enjoying the turtles, and we're enjoying, like, these beautiful birds that are there. And, oh, my goodness, we had this deer that came up. And then there was more wildlife, and, and a lot of the wildlife was people. And it was just fascinating to <laughs> hang out with, with the wildlife and the wild people in, in Wisconsin. And everything, everything was going smoothly until we heard the unmistakable rumble of thunder. And it was loud. And we look up in the sky, and it was like an incongruous thing because the sky was still blue. What we were hearing was the warning of a storm approaching. The problem is we were on a three-and-a-half-hour tubing run, and we were an hour into it. And there's no going back up the river, and so there we are with the human wildlife and us. <laughs> a bunch of inebriated wildlife on the river that day <laughs> as the storm is coming. And then the clouds caught up, and then the lightning struck. And while we were anxious about many things on the river that day, our challenge was nothing compared to what the disciples faced. The Bible describes it as an all-out squall that the disciples were in. The, the boat that they were in, again, that had, uh, it was kind of like four feet high at its deepest, was nothing to battle the storm they were in. The waters were just crashing. The waves were coming into the boat. The boat was filling. 
Listen, I want to talk about worry and anxiety. Let's start with worry. Worry is an emotion that is based on an actual threat or danger. And some of you know what I'm talking about because that's where you're at today. If you were to describe your life today, you would say, yep, I am dealing with an actual threat or danger in my life. I'm worried about my job, my company's downsizing, you're waking up at night because you're worried about whether or not you're gonna have a job next week. There's an old song that says, into every life a little rain must fall. And you're like, the rain is falling on my life right now. And I'm trying my best because I know the Bible says I should not worry and that to worry is a sin, but I'm finding myself just struggling with worry because these are actual things. Like I have an actual health diagnosis that has made me wonder what's gonna happen to my husband or what's gonna happen to my kids or how am I gonna deal with the treatment that's before me today? And you may find yourself on this Sunday morning in a spot where you are facing an actual threat or danger. And if that is you today, I want to encourage you, hold on, because there is hope for us when we're facing actual threats or danger. Anxiety is something completely different. It's an emotion experienced in the face of a perceived threat or danger. And some of you know what it's like to struggle with anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety in my life. I know there are many, many others in this place that have struggled with anxiety in their life, and it's when we can take something that we perceive to be true, and you begin to ruminate on that a little bit, and there may be no evidence to suggest that you need to worry about this, but for whatever reason, you find yourself in a spat of anxiety, even though the fear doesn't completely make sense. Sometimes the best thing you can do when faced with anxiety is to go talk with a professional about it. I know people who struggle with anxiety that are like worried that their spouse is cheating in their spouse's home every night on time for dinner. They're never traveling. They're like together all the time. There's no evidence to suggest that, but they worry about it because their father cheated or the character they watched on television did or their girlfriend's husband did. And so that perceived threat or danger is causing all sorts of havoc in a relationship. Anxiety can cause us to lose sleep, to put on weight, to impact our performance at work, and sometimes spiral into depression. Jesus' disciples on that day were dealing with worry. They were facing an actual threat or danger to their lives, and their worry was quickly spiraling into a panic for them. When Cindy and I were on that river last weekend, we wanted out as soon as we saw that lightning. We were, we were anxious, though, because the storm passed so quick, and it ended up being beautiful again. I'm like, God, really? Another sermon illustration? Like, could, could you have just made it easier for us to be on the river that day? We weren't in a ton of danger on the river. The disciples, all the disciples were in danger. They were in real danger. And you know what's so beautiful about this story? It's that the disciples went to the right place with their fear. The disciples went to the right place with their fear. And if we were to take an inventory of our lives today at Wooddale Church, we were to say, okay, when you're going through the storm, where do you go? Where's the first place you turn? Many of us turn to that great gift that God gave us in our spouse, and they're the first person that we go to, but God would say, hold up, start with me. Some of us want to just complain to everybody and anybody around us about the storm that we're facing, and God says, hey, hey, I'm big enough. I can handle this. Come to me. Look what the disciples do. The disciples went to him and awoke him, shouting, master, master, 
we're going to drown. I mean, I can hear the panic in their voices. They approach him while he is sleeping. And I want to say that to you again, just a little bit slower in case you didn't catch it. The disciples approached God while he was sleeping. And you never will. You'll never have that experience that the disciples experienced. God is aware, he is awake, he knows what is going on, he is in control. When it comes to your life, you never have to worry about God sleeping on the job. But I love this picture of Jesus because it's one of these moments in scripture where you see the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus almost in conflict with each other because he is worn out. Like before this, the parallel gospels teach us that Jesus was actually teaching crowds of people. He is pouring himself into the lives of others. And maybe you've been there. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus was a bit of an introvert because he would go to the quiet places to be by himself and the Lord sometimes when he had just enough of the disciples. Like he has been pouring himself in, he's been teaching the crowds and he is tired and he is sleeping and yet, In his divinity, oh, he is in complete control at the same time. Yeah, the other disciples talk about those, the other gospels talk about those crowds. Check out how Mark's gospel talks about this. Remember, Peter was the source material for Mark, so like Mark probably interviewed Peter for his gospel. And so maybe this is Peter's perspective. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. And look, although other boats followed. So it's not just the disciples on the boat that are going to experience a miracle. There's some other boats. There's some other eyewitnesses to this event in the life of Jesus. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So Jesus liked comfort, all right? He liked that cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown And I want you to see something, because I think Mark's gospel and Peter probably, in a bit of a confessional way of sharing, gives away where his heart was at. Mark's gospel shows us that the disciples mistook the peace of Jesus with a lack of care. They knew that they needed to go to Jesus when they were in over their heads. They certainly didn't know a way out of their predicament. But the disciples believed that Jesus didn't care about their situation. Maybe they were even irritated. Jesus, you took us out into the deep here. Do something about the storm. Why would you take us into the deep to give us a storm in our life? You ever do that? You say, God, really? I mean, how can you love me if you allow me to go through what you're going through? My sister, in so many ways, is a hero to her big brother. And I look at the way that she approached her cancer, and I, I, I think, Lord, if I could have approached it with halfway the dignity and the faith that she approached it, I'd be pretty proud of myself today. What do you do when you face the storms in your life? Teacher, we're going to drown. Don't you care? They were missing the point. You see, storms oftentimes in our life are God's way of bringing us into a deeper walk with him. And I wonder how many of you could attest to that today. That there's a storm that you have faced in your life that honestly, if you're you're real with others in the room, you would say, and that storm, instead of pushing me away from God, actually helps me to grow closer to him. If that's you, would you publicly testify to that today? Just raise your hand. If you've had a storm in your life, yeah. All around this, this, this worship center are people who can testify to the fact that sometimes the hardest things in our life are the very thing that God uses to push us into a deeper relationship with him. 
He moves in mighty ways when it feels like our back is against the wall. He'll use a storm to waken us from our spiritual slumber. Sometimes he'll use a storm to help us gather other prayer warriors around us to pray for us. How many of us can also attest to the fact that when those storms happen, we all of a sudden become people of prayer? And we're on our knees and we begin to develop these spiritual calluses on our knees that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for the storm. Like being on our knees before the God of the universe is not a bad place to be. And Jesus talks to his disciples and, and, and on that boat and, and I believe allows them to experience uh, some hardship so that they can come to him in their time of need. When my daughter was in college, she went to a little Christian school in Cedarville, Ohio. And the school invited a guest speaker to come, and they bought copies of his book, A Praying Life, for every student on that campus. Uh, it's the story of Paul Miller's kind of biographical journey with God in the discipline of prayer. And Brianna was so moved by it, she bought the book for all of her siblings as a gift that Christmas. She's like, you've got to read this book. And and, and, and I picked up a copy myself, and I've led so many people through this book. And I want to read just one quote from Miller's book. He says, God takes everyone he loves through a desert. You can replace the word storm there. It is his cure for our wandering hearts, restlessly searching for a new Eden. And so we, as people, naturally want the world to look like the world that God created and God will eventually restore. Here's how it works. The first thing that happens is we slowly give up the fight. Our wills are broken by the reality of our circumstances. The things that brought us life gradually die and our idols die for lack of food. God sometimes will give us a storm so that we will stop seeking joy in everything but him and recognize that our ultimate satisfaction comes through him and from him. Remember I mentioned that people generally react to life storms in one of three ways, with anxiety, with worry, or with faith. With faith. When the disciples came to the Lord Jesus for help, he would show himself to be the Lord of creation. And they're going to see that faith get tested here. Listen, the one that was on the boat with them is the Lord of creation. The Bible goes on to say, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And for the disciples, this was new. This was otherworldly. Like, they had seen Jesus heal so many sick people. They'd seen him do these miracles where he fed people with a few fish and loaves. By this point in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had even raised a dead person to life. But now he's controlling the weather. And he can do that because he is not only the creator of life or the sustainer of life, but he's the Lord of creation. He showed them that he is more than capable of helping them through the storms of life. And then he asks them this question in verse 25 that goes back to that, are we going to react with anxiety, with worry, or with faith? Look at verse 25. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Don't miss what may be the most important part of today's story. Yeah, it's amazing that Jesus could control the weather. But Jesus used this incident to ask the disciples a question that I believe he asks us today too. And that is, where's your faith? Where's your faith when you're going through the storm? Where's your faith when the pressure's on? Where's your faith when life is going really, really, really well? 
Like we're the group of people who can sing about praising you in the storm and raising our hands so beautifully to God. But when the rubber meets the road and we leave the church today as the church, because this isn't it, you are. And so when the church leaves the church building, what would your life say to your coworkers, your friends, your family about where your faith is? When you're going through a hard time, do they ever hear you speak the name of Jesus? Do they ever hear you testify to the fact that the Lord of creation is the Lord of your life and that he is more than capable of handling whatever it is that you face in this life? Faith is a decision. Faith is a decision to put our trust in the only one who can ultimately handle any threats or danger that we may experience in this life. Would the people around you know that your faith is in Jesus? Listen, the disciples were powerless against that storm, but not Jesus. Jesus is the first and the best place to come with our anxiety, with our worry, with our fear. The disciples and all the other people on the lake that day got to see an immediate miracle from God. Wouldn't it be great if that's how it always was? God, I've got cancer. Can you clear it? Done. God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the storms are storms that last for the rest of our life, and yet we still have faith. Because our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our faith is built on the fact that in this life we will have troubles, but we can take hope because he, he has overcome the world. That we have a God who is worthy of our faith. No one else can answer us like him. So let me ask you today, where's your faith? Intellectually, you might want to give me the Sunday school answer today. Brian, my faith's in Jesus. I got it. Jesus is the answer, right? But again, is he the answer that you publicly testify to over and over again? When things at work feel out of control, when things at home feel out of control, when you're anxious about your marriage, when you're anxious about your kids, when the world was spiraling out of control with COVID, what'd you do? You know, as COVID began to disperse and people began to gather again, Wooddale Church asked, what can we do in this next season to leave a legacy of hope to the next generation? And we talked about, you know, things that we could do here, near, and far. And in the here and the near section, we prayed, God, would you just show us how we can equip spiritually resilient generations? Father, there are 30,000 households around our campus. Would you give us wisdom and strategic ways that we can reach those around our campus with the hope of Jesus Christ? We, we talked about, uh, as a staff, hearing stories from people in our congregation who wanted to get in to see counselors, but the lines were like forever. It took like six months to get into a counselor as we were coming out of COVID. We heard so many stories of people who were coming back to church, but they were coming back and they weren't with their spouse anymore. And they were talking about my soon-to-be ex-wife or my soon-to-be ex-husband. We heard about parents who were just frustrated and exasperated who were saying things like, I don't even know what to do. It's been a rough two years? How do I help my kids in the life after COVID? We heard about others who said, I got kind of lazy or I began to, to depend on other things in this season of my life and I need help overcoming hurts, habits, and hangups like never before. And so as a church, we prayed, God, what would you have us do? And out of these longings and these prayers came something that we call the Family Resource Initiative. And when you came in to church today, there were some brochures that looked like this. If you missed it on your way in, I want to encourage you to pick it up on your way out because it's by all the tables. And we developed this thing called the Family Resource Initiative that is not yet a year old to answer some of the questions 
And ultimately, to point not to us as Wooddale, not to some organization, but to point to Jesus Christ as the hope of the world who is ready to meet us in the midst of marriages that are struggling and questions that we have about parenting and the grief that we're experiencing and all of the stuff that we hurt with. Pastor Dan is in the front row here, and he and I share offices next to each other in that office, and we affectionately call the family resource offices downstairs by door five, the hospital at Wooddale Church. It is a place where people are coming and they're experiencing hope and healing day by day. Every day, lives are being changed down there. I want to just give you a couple of stories. One story comes from a couple who began uh, our re-engage program. And in your brochure that you got today, there's another flyer in there that talks about re-engage, which is a marriage program that we said we want to we help answer some of the crisis of marriage. By the way, re-engage is not just for marriages that are in crisis, it's for marriages that just want to get better. So couples will say, hey, my marriage is like at a seven and I want to be at a nine. And others will say, my marriage is like at a negative five and I just hope we're still married, like at the end of the year. One of the couples that came in to re-engage uh, was not involved in any church before coming in to re-engage and they told me toward the end of the program, Brian, we entered into re-engage because we just wanted to divorce amicably and our kids to like both of us by the time we were done. And today, they are not only still married, but they would say their relationship is stronger than it has ever been. And the reason for that is because some of those things that they kept hidden, they brought into the light. They began to deal first and foremost with their relationship with God, and they began to see some healing. We started a program in the Family Resource Initiative called Lunch and Learns. They happen every Thursday. And we bring speakers in who talk about mental health and parenting and um, leadership and all sorts of other issues that people face in life. And we created that, not so a bunch of Wooddalers can show up here at noon on a Thursday and, and get enriched, but that's great. We want to bless you. But we created it so that you'd have an easy on-ramp to invite a coworker or a friend or somebody who doesn't know Jesus to come to something where they're not going to feel preached at, but they're going to hear hope that will build bridges of hope eventually to the gospel of Jesus. And in that program, we've now had people that have started Celebrate Recovery, joined grief share groups, and joined other groups around our campuses simply because they were invited to a lunch and learn from somebody here at Wooddale Church. There are over 57 people who've attended a lunch and learn event who've never been in the sanctuary of Wooddale Church before. And they keep coming back. And two weeks ago, we had somebody who's come to those events invite a friend because we were talking about overcoming toxic thinking. And he said, man, it's been a tough year in my business. And so I invited another person from my business. They don't attend Wooddale. They came because they're finding hope. See, that's what we want to do. And you can find out information about all those programs at familyresource.info. And we want to encourage you, take this brochure. Don't put it in like the recycling bin as you leave church today. But pray about, God, who is it in my life right now who's dealing with anxiety? Who's dealing with fear? Who's dealing with worry? Who's worried about their marriage? Who's scared about their finances? Who doesn't know in my life how they're going to make it to the end of this week with a paycheck? Because this is a ministry that we believe God has called us to, to step into the parts of the lives of people who are going through fear. So how do we make this personal today? I'll give you three things and we're going to let you go. Number one, we want to encourage you to identify your fears. Listen, we've all got them. And, I want, and maybe now would be the time to get a journal. And at the top of that journal, to draw a column. And you're going to put one column that just talks about anxiety. And these are those perceived threats. Maybe they're not real, okay? And they're going to put another column here that says worry. And you're going to begin to write down, what are those things in my life 
that are causing me to wake up in the middle of the night with stress and anxiety and I can't get control. And then what I wanna encourage you to do is after you've written that down in a journal, I wanna encourage you to do the next section of, of, of our making it personal and that is to bring your fears to Jesus. So you take that notebook and you say, okay God, here they are. I may have put them in the wrong column there might be something I'm anxious about that I really am, should be worried about because it's a real threat and there might be something that is a perceived threat that I've screwed up, but God, they're, they're here and they're yours. God, I can't handle this by myself. The Bible tells us that we are to cast all of our fears, all of our anxiety upon Jesus because he cares for us. And it uses the, the imagery of a fisherman who would take like the nets that are in the boat and he'd get into the boat and he'd take this net and, and the nets that they had were bigger than this and it would require multiple fishermen and they'd throw those nets out and they would cast it with all of their might and all of their power because... Because that's what it took to give up the fear. To give up the fear. It takes work sometimes to give something to the only one who can handle it. Number three, replace your anxiety and your fear with faith in God's promises. Want a great exercise today? Go to Google. Google is good for lots of stuff. And you can Google promises of God found in the Bible. And you'll find thousands of pages. I had a young woman in my office this week who's going through incredible anxiety. She was here with her husband in the first service today and one of the things I told her to do this week is I said, go and look up all the I am statements and who you are in Christ statements in the Bible. And she's begun to replace the fear and the anxiety with the truth of God's word and the promises and God is beginning to transform not only her but her husband because of that exercise. Listen, there are so many promises God has and I wanna leave you with one today from Hebrews 13, five and six. Don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. Any of you guilty of loving money from time to time? Liars, all right, like we all love it. Man, we're gonna have a liars group next week, all right? <laughs> money's, money's something that if we're honest with ourselves, it has us often. Boy, we struggle with this. And God didn't make a mistake in his sovereignty beginning this promise from Hebrews with that phrase, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. And then he goes on to say, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? That's the promise I want you to hear today. Listen, Wooddale Church exists to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. That word more is really important. What we experience shouldn't just be about the people that are in this room. You've got friends and neighbors who are waking up in the middle of the night too. And they're screaming to their husband or their wife or their kids or their coworkers or the person they're having the affair with. Instead of coming to the only one that can do something about it. And you... You know this God. Listen, he loves you. And he loves your friends. And so my encouragement is when Pastor Kyle is preaching this next month, let's fill this place up. What God has given Pastor Kyle over the next month is, is gonna be an extraordinary series of sermons about what it means and what it looks like when we live as followers of Jesus Christ as part of his body. Yeah, God's not gonna abandon us you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and we thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege of serving a God who is the creator and the sustainer of life and the Lord of creation.
So God, would you help us to live as your children in a way that brings glory and honor to you? In Jesus' name we pray.